Alright, so tonight we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 28. We'll go ahead and start reading verse 1. It says, And Isaac called Jacob, and blessed him, and charged him, and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Bananaram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. And God Almighty bless thee, and make thee fruitful, and multiply thee, that thou mayest be a multitude of people, and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee, and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. And Isaac sent away Jacob, and he went to Padanaram unto Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau's mother. So, something that's important to understand as you're reading through the Bible is what this blessing is that's just mentioned. Now, we've been talking about this as we've been going through this, but I want to do a review. Uh, this is really important that you understand this because, again, you know, we often fail to look at the Bible as a whole and try to look at the big picture. We're always kind of like wanting to look at certain verses under a microscope, and we end up missing the big picture as a result of it. And so one of the things that we're seeing here is Isaac is transferring the blessing of Abraham to Jacob. Okay, It didn't go to Isaac and his, all of his children. It went to Isaac and Jacob specifically. But now it's going to Jacob, and then it's going to go to all of his sons. It's going to go to the 12 tribes, eventually go to the 12 tribes of Israel. And so something you need to remember from the book of Genesis, let's, let's do a little review here, is in this book, we are seeing this is the book of Genesis, okay, the book of beginnings. God has been looking for a people to serve him that he can bless and that he can have fellowship with. Now, it started out with Adam and Eve. What did God do with Adam and Eve when they were first there? He walked with them in the garden in the cool of the day. I mean, he's having fellowship with mankind. But they sinned. Adam and Eve, they sinned. They fell. God had to put them out of the Garden of Eden. He had to separate them from them because a holy God cannot be in the presence of sin. And so they've been kicked out of the Garden now. And then throughout the book of Genesis, we're seeing God looking to raise up a people that he can bless, that he can have fellowship with. He's trying to raise up a people. And you all know the story. It starts out, Cain and Abel, they come and they bring their offerings to God. They're looking to see not which one God is going to save, but which one God is going to choose, which one God is going to establish his covenant with. And God chose Abel over Cain. But Cain got jealous and Cain killed Abel, didn't he? So... Time passes, Seth is born. And remember what Eve said? God had appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. So we have Seth. Seth begins Enos. And it's in his days that men began to call on the Lord. But they all got corrupted. But that line ended up intermarrying with the line of Cain, with the daughters of men. And the whole world got filled with violence. There was no people serving God. There was no people that the Lord was able to bless. God says, you know what? I'm starting all over. Because remember, God's looking for somebody. God is looking for a people. And God says, I'm going to destroy the whole world. But then Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So God decides he's going to continue his covenant with Noah. God ends up telling Noah to build an ark. Noah builds an ark, saves his family. And then some time passes and we've got the Tower of Babel. Man gets corrupted again. The whole world is just doing the same thing. They're not doing what God wants. 
But then God ends up scattering all of them. And then God chooses another man to establish his covenant with. And that is Abraham. And Abraham, this man impressed God in a ways like nobody else did. This was a man of great faith. He believed God. God accounted him for righteousness when God told him he was going to multiply his seed. And this is something that pleased God. But then many, many years later, we see Abraham was willing to sacrifice his own son because God told him to. And that faith and that obedience of Abraham, it made God decide two things with Abraham. One, I'm going to establish a people with you, physically speaking, but not just physically speaking. God's like, I'm going to call you the father of all them who are of faith, too. So Abraham, he's the father, physically speaking, of this nation of Israel that's going to come. But he's also known as the father of all those who are of faith. And therefore, Abraham is our father also. And then you know what happened. Abraham has two sons, but the Isaac was the seed of promise. So the blessing went to Isaac. Same thing that God said to Abraham, I will bless him that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. God said that to Isaac. Isaac now has that blessing. Doesn't give it to Esau. He gives it to Jacob. He says the same thing to him. He says that thou art. Uh, I'm going to give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee, not to Esau, to Jacob. So Jacob's got it, and it eventually, now that it's given to Jacob, it's going to go to, you know, the nation is all those who come from Jacob. Because his, later we're going to see his name's changed to Israel, and then all of the 12 tribes of Israel are God's people. Okay? But understand, the, those physical people, being God's people, being God's nation, it ended up being temporary. And the truth is, it was always going to be temporary. And we're going to see that until something happened. Until. It wasn't, it wasn't this forever. It, it, it was forever, and yet it wasn't. And I'll show you it too, because it's like, the dispensationalists, they're always accusing us of saying, you know, God didn't keep his promise and God changed his promise. No, they are changing the promise of God. They are adding to it. They are taking away. So I don't want to get ahead of myself too much. But understand what we're seeing right now is Jacob leaves his father and he goes to Bethuel to find a wife. That blessing that we see Abraham had, which is why all these things would happen to people who mess with Abraham's wife. Why God would prosper him and everything he would do. We see all that going on after God gives that promise. We see with Isaac, people who mess with him and mess with his wife, God would curse. We've been seeing Isaac getting blessed and everything he does. And we're going to see the same thing with Jacob too. Jacob is also very prosperous. God's blessing is on him in a big way. Why? Because he has that blessing of Abraham. So, uh, but you know, verse 6 though, let's go ahead and go to verse 6. It says, when Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padanaram to take him a wife from thence, and that he had blessed him, he gave him charge, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob obeyed his father and his mother and was gone to Padanaram. And Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, then went Esau unto Ishmael and took unto the wives which he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife. And I think right here, and this is another thing, I've, you know, I, I've said this before, I've heard this repeated a lot, and I've repeated it 
but I don't really know how to know for sure if this is true or not, you know, because people some often say the Muslims come from Ishmael, or they'll sometimes they'll say the Muslims come from Esau. Well, some say they come from both because we see Esau intermarrying with Ishmael's daughters. But I don't know, but this is where people get that. If you hear people say that, it's based on this here because while those Canaanite daughters caused mom and dad to be really upset, he figures, well, you know what? They'll be happier if I get some that are related a little more. And so he goes to Ishmael, Isaac's brother, his uncle, and basically marries, marries his cousins. So, uh, and, and this is important too. Um, we'll look at verse 10. It says, so and Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. Okay. So now all these years later, this land that we've seen before, it's still called Haran because remember, anybody remember who Haran was? Haran was Abraham's brother. So this land that Jacob's going to is the land that his family comes from, or at least that Abraham came from. Uh, Haran was a brother of Abraham. And that's important, too, because all these names throughout Genesis that we've been seeing, they're all significant because we're seeing how these nations got started. And so they all play in later. And here's an example of Haran playing in later. We know what land this is. We know why it's important to him because we know who Abraham's brothers are. So these little details the Bible gives, they help us understand things later. There's nothing in the Bible that's just there to be there. It's there for a reason. And so, you know, and people often will pull weird things, you know, out of these stories and just kind of go wherever they want to with them. But, you know, ultimately the reason these facts are all there in the Bible is because it's trying to show the origins of nations that were very, very relevant in the day when this book was given to the children of Israel. It was very relevant then. So none of this stuff is random. It might seem a little random to us. Well, I don't see what I get out of this. Well, you might not get much out of it, but understand it was really important to them when it was written. And so we can learn things from it. It's still profitable for us, but it might not necessarily directly apply to us. So, uh, But it's, it helps if we understand that. So uh, verse 11 says that he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. So, I, you know, Jacob's a tough guy. People always talk about Jacob, the wimpy man, the smooth guy that dwelt in tents with his mama. Hey, Jacob used a stone for a pillow. All right, that's that's pretty tough. Any of y'all ever tried that before? All right, you know, uh, that's, that, that's impressive right there. I thought about trying to be more like these Bible characters Guy one time, guy did a post on Facebook, you know, what I have to do to be more alpha male. Well, first, if you have to ask, you're not doing too good. But second, if you are going to ask, I would say use a stone for a pillow. That's what Jacob did. And then you can say you're biblical too, and you can bash everybody else that uses soft pillows and call them wimps. But anyway, you shouldn't use the Bible like that. But some people do. So here's some ammo for those of you out there that like to do that. But anyway... And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set upon the earth, and the top of it reached unto heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee, and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Same thing we see about Abraham. Okay? And this is where the you know Zionists get all excited and start talking about the Jews. 
And I don't even need to bring that up, even though we will be going to Galatians 3 in a little bit to show one of the forbidden verses. Okay, But you all know the seed is not seeds of the many. That's talking about Jesus Christ. Okay, Now, remember, we've seen these this phrase, we've seen this promise used when God was talking to Abraham. Here we see it being the exact same thing being said, all the nations in the earth being blessed through his seed. We've already showed in the past that Galatians 3 proves that that is with Jesus Christ, not the Jews. Yet, Baptists will still talk about why we got to bless the Jews because of this. That is so dumb. And it proves that not only are these people missing complete verses, they are missing the complete purpose and theme of the Bible. That's you know, And they, they freak out about us saying that God replaced Israel, yet they're the ones replacing Jesus. And they're literally replacing Jesus. We'll see that. But let's, let's keep reading. Verse 15 says, And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, and I will not, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken thee of. Y'all see that right there? Now it's important that we pay attention to these things. Okay? Now we often don't pay attention to the fine print when we sign anything, do we? Okay? And we often don't read the fine print that's in the Bible, too. And it's important that we do, because while every little word doesn't always matter to us, it does matter to God. And that's why when the Bible says, and to thy seed, it's important that it says seed versus seeds. It's important that it says seed, singular, versus descendants, like all the other Bibles do, plural. Because it's not talking about a group of people it's talking about one. It's talking about Jesus Christ. And folks, that matters a lot. That matters a lot. And it matters here that when God gives him this blessing here, he says, I will not leave thee. Now, if you're a dispensationalist, you'd be like, you know, you can't go around saying God's done with Israel and God left Israel and God forsook Israel. God's promising Jacob here that I'm not going to leave thee. But wait a minute. Let's pay attention to what it says. Let's not add to and let's not take away. It says, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken thee of. Okay? Now let me ask you, what did he spoken to them of? Isn't that important? What's that? Somebody got to say that? Right, bring in the land. And also, you know, uh, the seed that he promised too. Okay? You know, there's, prom there's promises here about bringing them into the land because he said, I'm going to spread you out to the north, the southeast. All of that happened, didn't it? Did God not do all of that? We see that in the Old Testament, don't we? We see him saying that he's going to multiply him as the dust of the earth. We see them multiplying greatly. And we see the promise of the seed that all the families of the earth are going to be blessed in. And, and we all know the seed came. The world has been blessed by Jesus Christ, hasn't he? And... That multiplication is still going on, isn't it? Because the seed, it came from Jacob, didn't it? So understand this, that even, okay, even though the rest of the physical people basically cease to exist as a people, the promise to multiply them as the stars is still continuing to happen because Jesus did come 
from Jacob. Jesus took upon him the seed of Abraham. Jesus physically descended from Jacob, and everyone who is saved is now a part of that family. And, if, and when you follow the lineage back, it goes back to Jacob. So this is still being fulfilled, but it's being fulfilled through Jesus, not the Jews. Okay? The family tree branched off, you could say, and went in another direction. And only ones that matter now are the ones that are connected to Jesus Christ. Just like God made a promise to Abraham and his seed, but Ishmael didn't count, did they? We see God made a promise to Isaac and his seed, but Esau didn't count. We see the same thing with Jacob, but and, and it counted with all of them until the seed came. When the seed came, Jesus Christ, okay, then it stayed directly with him. Y'all understand that? That's how that family tree needs to work. So the people of God are no longer a physical people that's branched off in a million different directions. The people of God now are the, all the ones connected with Christ. Now think about this. No saved Jew lost their standing with God, did they? Every saved Jew, they got saved through their high priest, Jesus Christ, who came and made atonement for their sins, you know, after them. And so they still have their standing. They did not lose their position. Now, there are some who did lose their position. These are the people who were the Jews during the time of Christ who rejected Jesus as the Messiah. Those branches were broken off. Those people ceased being the people of God. Now, they had the ability to be grafted back in if they would not abide still in unbelief. Okay? But the Jews that are still here today, understand any Jew that's here today, they were never a part of the tree. You all understand that? They now, they could still be grafted into the tree, just like we are grafted into, we're grafted into the tree. But they're not going to be grafted back in. Does that, all, does that make sense? Okay. This should be, you know, this is, you know, just replacement theology 101 stuff for us. But I'm just showing more evidence and that when you look at the fine print in the Bible, you know, often we focus on what it says in Genesis 12 and 15. But we're seeing the same thing here in Genesis 28, just lining up perfectly with what we see taught in the New Testament. And we'll get there in a little bit. But so understand when God made that statement, until I, I'm going to be with thee, until I have done that, which I have spoken thee of, God kept that promise. God preserved Jacob with all the enemies that came after Israel throughout the centuries. And there were many, even though they were taken into captivity. And even though all these things happened to them, did God not preserve them? Did God not remain with them and protect them? He did in a major way until the seed came. Now, after the seed came, Jesus Christ, and they rejected him as the Messiah, God's hand of protection left the people of Israel. And you know what happened in less than a generation? 70 AD happened. 70 AD happened. You know why? Because Israel finally got what was coming to them after all the wickedness that they had done. So, well, why did it take so long for all that to happen to them? Because God was with them. Because God protected them. But once God fulfilled his promise and did what he said, and the seed came, the hand of protection left them. And they would have been fine if they'd have accepted Jesus as Messiah, but they didn't, and so they got destroyed. 
So these are irrefutable facts here. This is not opinion. This is us looking at clearly what the Scripture says, looking at the Bible, looking at history, seeing that God did exactly what He said. So these things that they come up with, you know, you guys are saying God broke His promise. No, you changed the promise is what you did. You know, you've perverted the Word of God. You know, we're just looking at what it says and taking it literal. So they, dispensations often add to or they take away from the promises that God made by changing the seed to descendants and making it all the Jews instead of Jesus. Say so they accuse us of calling God a liar when we say the Jews are not his people anymore. But go ahead and, and look at uh, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. So we know this passage backwards, but let me point out one thing to you that's very important. Because it says in verse 16, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds is a many. Okay? Paul's saying this under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, because God knew one of these days C.I. Schofield was going to come along, and in his commentary say this descendants, and then all the Baptists were going to buy into that. He knew that was going to happen. So let me just make it simple for you real Bible believers out there. And not only am I going to say what God said, but I'm going to also say what God didn't say. He saith not, and the seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. Because when did the law come? All right, the law that was given came 430 years after God gave this promise to Abraham. So this law that was added, okay, God made a promise right here in Genesis chapter 12. God made a promise to Abraham, but four, over 400 years later, God adds this law. And so we say that law that was added, it didn't disannul what God had promised in Genesis chapter 12. It didn't change anything. But that law was given for a reason. Okay? Now, let me ask you this. Okay, there's, there's two answers to this question. But why was the law given? I think the one answer we all know pretty good. But wh why was the law given? It was a schoolmaster, right? To teach us that we're sinful. To help us see that we are sinners. Okay, that's, that's you could say, the spiritual reason. But there's a practical reason it was given, too. What's the other reason, the practical reason, you could say it was given? Let me ask you this. Why do we have any laws? Show us how to live. But why do we need to be shown how to live? Why can't we just live how we want to live? Because here's the thing. If we all lived just how we wanted to live, if we had no laws, we would become a nation like Chaz. Okay? Now, nobody wants to live in that. Okay? Nobody wants to live in a country full of a bunch of queer little millennials that even when they get all the power, still have to have everything handed to them and given to them. They can't take care of themselves. Just completely lawless, worthless, good for nothing. What would happen if we didn't have... You know, how long did that nation of Chaz last? A month? Did it even last a month? And they're already done? You know why they only lasted a month? Not only because of the fact that they were just queer little millennials that never done anything in their life. 
Not just because they were the scum of the earth and that the people that were all a part of that were the worst people that society has to offer. And I'm being nice in what I'm saying about these people. But you know why? It's because their laws stunk. Because they basically had no laws. Therefore, they were bound to fail and to die out and to be taken over and not succeed. And so God had to give Israel a law so they could survive. With folks, with our sin nature, if we don't have something governing us and something controlling us and keeping us in submission, we will destroy ourselves. And nations do that all the time. That's why democracy is dangerous. That's why our nation is not a true democracy. We are a republic. We're supposed to be a republic, a nation that is governed by laws. We're supposed to be governed by the Constitution. Why did our founding fathers give us a constitution? Why did they form a Republican form of government? Because they realized that man is corruptible, that man is dirty, and that if man is just able to do whatever it wants to do, it will destroy itself. And so if we had a true democracy, then all we got to do is corrupt the people, and then we can corrupt all the laws and just destroy ourselves. But we're seeing more and more democracy, and it's not going well, is it? It's not. It's It's destroying us. And we're continuing to just vote in horrible things that are unconstitutional. And we're going to destroy ourselves because of it. But laws are needed so we can survive as a people. And so in Galatians 3, 18, it says, For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Okay, So therefore, just because you're legally a Jew, it means nothing. It's a promise. And I'm not going to talk about that. We all know about that. But... He asks a question here. Wherefore then serveth the law? So what's the purpose of the law? Why did God give it? It was added because of transgressions. They were getting wicked. God had to give laws. And I don't want to, I'm trying not to get sidetracked here. There's so much I could talk about here. But, you know, people often talk about, oh, you know, the Bible is for slavery. You know, the Bible has these laws about, you know, uh, you, know, so, you know, some of the laws that just aren't real pleasant about selling your daughter and things like that. You know, the Bible's okay with selling your daughter. No, these laws were given to control and to kind of rein in a very wicked people. And so when he gave a law about selling your daughter, it wasn't God saying, it's okay for you to sell your daughter. You know what he was doing? He was limiting them doing that and saying you couldn't sell her to somebody outside of Israel. Okay? Now you say, well, I still don't like that. Well, it was a whole lot better than what they were doing. You know, it was him kind of reining them in so they could survive as a people. It's not God making a statement, you know, encouraging you to sell your daughters. It's not God telling you when God's talking about beating your slave, God's not telling you, hey, it's okay for you to beat your slave. I mean, after all, you own them. It's God reining them in, letting them know that, hey, you can't take this too far. And again, these aren't God, this isn't God making statements that it's holy for you to beat your slave as long as you don't beat him too bad. That's not what God's doing. God's reining these people in. And it's the same thing they do in this country where, you know, often when they're trying to get something, you know, good or bad, they often don't get everything they want all at once, do they? Because it would just wouldn't happen. Society couldn't handle it. You know, that's why a lot of people believe, too, that slavery was on its way out before the Civil War. You know, it's just these things take time that get right. And if you try doing it too fast, it can literally, you know, destroy everything. It can
can mess everything up. And so, you know, our, our world today, we're too simple-minded to even understand these things. But, you know, smarter people than us have understood these things throughout the centuries. And so they put stuff like that in place. But people, they look at these things and they just take all the wrong ideas from it. I'm getting sidetracked in this stuff. But so, back to verse 18. The law was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hands of a mediator. So the law was given until, until something. This was temporary. Until what? Until the uh, the seed should come to whom the promise was made. So this, folks, this promise that we're seeing in Genesis 28, is this promise to Isaac and all of his descendants or was it to a seed? This promise that God gave to Isaac and to his seed was a promise that was to Jesus. Why? Because God had promised the Messiah, that the seed that was going to bruise the head of Satan, it was going to come through that line of Abraham. And so in order for God to keep his promise, God has to preserve these people, doesn't he? That's why the devil wanted so bad to destroy them. Anytime God would kind of give a specific promise towards an individual, Satan would attack that individual. We see certain promises later going to the tribe of Judah. And that's why Satan would go after the tribe of Judah so much. Because he's trying to destroy the seed. But the seed was preserved. And it's amazing because the dispensationalists are always talking about how God preserved Israel all those years. You know, throughout the centuries, throughout the Bible, we see God preserving them. We see how God preserved them during the days of Esther when Haman tried, you know, destroying the Jews. God wouldn't allow them to destroy the Jews. Why? Because they're his people. No, God wouldn't let them destroy the Jews because he was trying to preserve his seed. That was why God was not preserving them because they were just these wonderful people. God was preserving them because there was someone that was in the loins of those people and it was Jesus Christ. And when the seed came until, because until the seed should come, Jesus came. Therefore, God kept his promise, didn't he? This promise that God gave to Abraham, the promise that God gave to Isaac, it has been preserved. This line has been preserved. As long as there will be a Jesus, and as long as there will be a people who are in Christ, the promises that God gave to Abraham, the eternal promises, will be in effect. So whenever a dispensationalist says that God broke his promise, they just don't understand God's promise. They look at that, and all they see is God giving it to a physical people. That's because they replaced Jesus Christ with a physical people. That promise was to the seed. And Jesus got it. Jesus has it. It is his. And so there's there, you know, there's no doubt about it. I mean, this isn't me twisting anything. This is what this is Paul clarifying everything, making it crystal clear. And again, I still haven't found a dispensationalist preaching verse by verse through Galatians 3. Can't find it. I want to hear a hardcore dispensationalist. Explain Galatians 3 and 4 and show where we're wrong. I want him to go through Galatians 3 and 4 and show us why these people that he are claiming are God's chosen people because of the law, why they are his chosen people when God says it's not of the law, it's of the promise. There's, I, I, I've yet. And all, what do they do? All they do is complain about these replacement theology people just turning the Bible on its head, just you know talking about this Catholic trash and all this stuff. 
Show us where we're wrong. Go to our favorite passage that we love to throw in your face and show us where we're wrong. They never will. Because this isn't a matter of opinion. This is spelled out, folks. There's some things, it's a matter of opinion. You can maybe disagree a little bit. On this, you can't. It's Paul literally explaining the fine print like a lawyer. Hey, some of y'all, he's like, y'all didn't get what it said there in Genesis, but let me help you under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Here's what it didn't mean, which is what the dispensationalists say it does mean. And then here's what it actually does mean, what we say it means. And yet people still get this wrong. That's called stubbornness. That's called blindness is what it is. So verse 16, it's frustrating, but verse 16 says, And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give a tenth unto thee. So let me point out a few things about this passage because I think this is pretty interesting. So first off, I do not believe that we need to make Bethel this magical place. Okay. Now, obviously, this is a cool story. We've got Jacob's Ladder. You know, that's no, you, you, everybody's heard of Jacob's Ladder. There's a song, We Are Climbing Jacob's Ladder. I don't really get that song, but, uh, you know, it, it's out there. And, and you know, it's, it's a pretty cool vision, right? Well, the thing is, you know, this was a vision. I don't know for sure. I can't really say that there's literally a ladder and an entrance to heaven in Bethel. There might be. If you believe that there is, I'm not mad at you. Well, I'm not totally convinced that there is, but that'd be pretty cool if that was. But I don't think we necessarily need to make this a supernatural place because what I think was special about this place is because, and I, and we covered this back when we were in Genesis 12 or 13. I believe this place was special because of Abraham, because this is the place where God, uh, where God made his promise to Abraham. Look at what it says. In Genesis 12, 7 and 8. So I think that's what was significant, is what took place there. I think that's what made it special, why Jacob had this vision there, and why God spoke to him there. And it says in verse 7, And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. Isn't that what we saw God doing with Jacob there, promising that land to his seed? And we know it's talking about Jesus Christ. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. So this is the same place where Abraham did this is where Jacob has this vision years later. It says in Genesis 13, turn to the next chapter, verse 3, and he went on his journey from the south even to Bethel unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first and there Abraham or Abraham called on the name of the Lord. So this was a special place where God had made a covenant with Abraham. 
while Abraham was, you know, traveling through the land. And so this blessing that was Abraham's, that has just been given to Jacob, God is now speaking to him directly like he had done with Abraham because now it's going to Jacob. And Abraham is the one who God named as the father of those who are of faith. Okay? And Jacob is the one that God is eventually going to name the nation after, uh, which after God changes his name to Israel. And so this is just, you know, this was a, you know, a big deal. It was a big covenant. And so, you know, all this stuff that's happening here, I think a lot of times people go like to go crazy with it and make it like it was this, it's just a special supernatural place. I, I think it's more about the people that were there during that time and the promise that God had made to Abraham. I think that's why that was special. But you know what? If y'all ever want to go over there sometime and see if you can find a way to, you know, figure out how to, you know, open the portal and climb the ladder, you know, I think that'd be pretty cool. But you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna waste an expedition on that. But uh, anyway, uh, but it, but if you succeeded, it wouldn't shake my faith or anything like that either. But if you failed, it wouldn't shake my faith. So I just, but anyway, so the, but another thing I want to point out about this passage too that I think is interesting that just helps us understand the Bible because we're gonna get into some passages later. Two that are a little strange as far as, not even just strange, but it's just they seem kind of random as far as um, when it's going through the genealogy, some of the things it mentions, it's like, why is this mentioned? You know, I, I don't really get the significance of this. and uh, But at the same time, I think if we notice a little fact here, it's going to help us later when we get to some of these things. So notice, though, this place here that's mentioned that was mentioned in chapter 12 and 13. In chapter 12 and 13, the writer of Genesis called it Bethel. It didn't call it Luz, it called it Bethel. But it's Jacob that named the place Bethel. So you know what that means? When Abraham was in Bethel, it wasn't Bethel yet, was it? It was Luz. So why did they call it Bethel? Because they're writing to the Jews who were familiar with Bethel. You know, that was, that was their town. And so it's not until later that it gives the origin of that name. So, and, and I used this illustration back then. I don't know what Rock Falls was called before it was called Rock Falls. But if I was reading a history of this place and it was written to me, okay, and they're, and they're telling a story about something that happened here before the place was called Rock Falls, I needed to call it Rock Falls in order for me to know what it's talking about. It's like this event took place on 9th Avenue, you know, at 2002 9th Avenue in Rock Falls. Okay, now, if it was, you know, 200 years ago, was this place right here, 2002 9th Avenue? No, but if it doesn't say that, I'm not gonna know where they're talking about. Unless I have an origin story somewhere that talks about a place that has a specific name, you know, and then it's, and then it's specified it later was called Rock Falls. The address is 2002 9th Avenue. And what we see here in the book of Genesis is the origin story of the name kind of comes later. And you say, but, you know, that's a mistake in the Bible. It was calling it Luz, or it was calling it Bethel when it was actually Luz. It was just trying to describe where it happened so the people would understand it. And that's, that. and again, that helps us kind of put these things in perspective and to help us understand what was written, why it was written, how it was written, 
it was directed at a specific group of people, and it was the people that were coming out of Egypt and going into the promised land. And so all of these things would have been very relevant to them. So there could be some things in here in the Bible too, because there, there's a few things that we're going to see later on that I can't figure out why it's mentioned there, where it just seems kind of random. And, I'm, and I read it and I'm just like, I can't find anywhere where that plays in later in the Bible. And you know what? I, I'll probably never know why it was written, you know, what it has to do with anything else in the Bible. But I can guarantee you those that it was written to knew exactly what it was talking about. And it's still the Word of God. We're not missing anything that we need. Everything we need for that's profitable for us, we have. Everything that we need to be perfect, truly furnished, we have. Just like when the Apostle Paul is, you know, greet, you know, whoever. Well, I don't know who that is. You know, but the people that he wrote the letter to did. You know, so there's, you could say there was a little more meaning to that letter to the people it was originally written to than it is to us. Okay? Doesn't mean we've lost something that we need. No, we still have everything we need. Y'all understand that? And so I show you all that to just show how there are going to be things in the Bible that don't make complete sense to us. We don't really understand why it's there, but we don't have to. We don't have to, and it doesn't change anything. And so I don't need to go read the book of Jasher, you know, to help me understand these things. I don't need that at all. So, uh, you know, another thing we see here, too, in this passage, is we see another example of tithing being something before the law. This was And uh, Jacob, uh, he committed to giving God a tenth of everything he had, just like Abraham did. Abraham did the same thing. Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. So what we're seeing in this chapter is God continuing his covenant with Jacob instead of Esau. Because Jacob replaced Esau. And so God has chosen Jacob to be who he raises up his nation with. But it's not until a little bit later where we're going to see where Jacob becomes Israel. And, and hopefully... As we go through that, we'll kind of understand the significance of that, of the name change and everything. But that, that's Genesis chapter 28, you know, Jacob's Ladder and, and Bethel. This was a special place because it was a place where God promised that seed. And the book of Genesis, the Old Testament, the Bible, it's not just about Jews. It's about Jesus. Everybody wants to overemphasize the Jews. The only reason that the Jews were special was because Jesus was going to come from them. Once Jesus came, all of a sudden, they now take a bag seat. We're not paying attention to them anymore, and we're paying attention to Jesus. The only reason we're paying attention to old in the Old Testament is because we're waiting for Jesus. He came. Now, the focal point is all on him, but yet, what do the dispensationalists do? They, they want to go back and focus on the Jews. Isn't that weird? Isn't that backwards and wrong? And so far off what God told us to do. But you know what? That's what happens when devils like Schofield come along and are extremely successful. He gets in his elite Lotus Club, all these Jews that help him get his book out there in the mainstream, in the big time. He's got all these big people funding him. And it has distorted and messed up Bible doctrine in a major way. It's, it's a sad thing. But you know what? I'm not really surprised because I would think it would be safe to say the C.I. Schofield and his Lotus Club with a bunch of Jews in it, what took place there with him, 
them funding him, helping him get that Bible out in such a big way, probably did more to help Zionism, which will ultimately lead to the establishment of the Antichrist, than really anything else. Because what's always been in the way of the work of the devil? It's been God's people. It's been the church. It's been the Word of God. So that major event that took place there that just corrupted the Bible and the interpretation of the Bible, I mean, that, folks, we shouldn't ignore things like that. That's a big deal right there that we are still paying the consequences of today. We're still suffering from, I mean, and it, you know, there's, and in fact, I just got challenged on something recently. I'm in the middle of studying some stuff right now. This It's not like earth shattering or anything like that. We're not like about to change religions or anything, all right? But just, you know, stuff that I've heard repeated a lot in my life that I've never really studied. Some stuff, too, that I, you know, I've said it, just kind of repeating what I heard, uh, you know, kind of got challenged on it. And, I, and I'm looking at this and I'm like, this was based off of, this, this was not based off the Bible. At all. This was based off bad history, things that just kind of crept into the church that people just kind of latched onto, and, and it was all to advance bad eschatology. Really, all it was. And I'll probably be preaching about that pretty soon, but uh, I'll let you all kind of wonder about that for right now. But anyway, uh, that's all. That's all I have in that. But let's go ahead and pray, dear Lord. We thank you so much for your word. I pray, Lord, that this will uh, just be a help to us. Lord, help us to pay attention to the fine print in your word. Lord, help us to realize every word is important and not to just go trying to twist things to our liking, but help us to uh, get the message that you intended for us to get. Lord, we thank you for uh, sending Jesus and uh, sending the seed, Lord, that we're able to be blessed with. And we do thank you for that wonderful blessing of Jesus Christ and salvation. In your name we pray. Amen.